last Sunday after church, my partner Chris and I went to a nearby trail we go to somewhat regularly. It was a beautiful day and it was Easter Sunday. So we expected that others would also want to be out in nature and enjoy the day. We took our masks along just in case, not really knowing what to expect. We hadn't been out to the trail for quite a few weeks. So we were prepared, but not really. We were both caught off guard by the general lack of face masks and the lack of social distancing. The trail isn't really wide enough to be six feet away from others, but some were walking in large groups spread across the trail. There were families with children, cyclists, runners, and walkers, and most were proceeding as though it were any other day at any other time. We were among only a handful of people who wore masks and who tried to keep as much distance as possible. I ended up in closer proximity to more people that afternoon than I had been at any time in the last five weeks or so. Maybe it's because we were outside and people didn't think masks were necessary. Maybe it's because people just aren't taking this seriously enough. I don't know. I do know that I was disappointed and felt quite vulnerable. I was disappointed that a favorite spot of mine in nature now feels unsafe and that a place that usually nurtures my spirit suddenly feels threatening. We aren't likely to return there again anytime soon. We'll stick to our neighborhood where we can, if needed, cross the street for distancing and we'll be on the lookout for some more secluded places where we might be able to walk. I was disappointed last week that others weren't making choices that would ensure greater safety for themselves and for others. I was disappointed that people weren't voluntarily being more cautious. I experienced a sense of loss that day and I know collectively and individually we are all dealing with so many losses of so many kinds. That experience led me to reflect more deeply on what I love and what I hope never to lose. Especially on the brink of Earth Day and its 50th anniversary and amid COVID-19 I was really taken by this question. What I love and hope never to lose includes the great heron feeding at the river, families being able to congregate safely at a park, fresh air to breathe, the smell of wet grass at dawn, trees blossoming in the springtime, drinking water from the tap, dolphins leaping along the shoreline, monarch butterflies and bees, the people I love, the well-being of all people now and in the future, the well-being of all living beings, sunsets, warm breezes, waterfalls, tulips and lilacs, my church community, my faith in humanity, my sense 
of shared humanity, my hopeful spirit, my commitment to justice. Those are just a few on my list. These are things I hope never to lose, not to C-19 or to climate chaos, nor to other disasters or threats. I've been reflecting on what is needed to ensure those things I love aren't lost. Reflecting on what courage and commitment is required of us. And this week I've been learning about COVID-19 actions that might be applied to climate chaos, actions that would protect what we love. Among the actions that we are seeing with COVID-19 is the need to listen to the guidance of science, the need to protect vulnerable groups, and the need to invest in prevention. And there's a need to make a shift of consciousness in order for those actions to happen. And that's what I want to focus on, that shift of consciousness. Ann Orford, Chair of International Law at Melbourne Law School, wrote a blog post for the London Review of Books. And in it, she says that not only have attempts to control the virus led to a reduction in carbon emissions, they have also led to a significant shift in the way individuals, institutions, and politicians discuss our responsibility to protect vulnerable groups in our societies. All of us are being asked to make sacrifices for the collective good right now, and specifically for the good of the most vulnerable and marginalized among us. Now, we're seeing the response to this. We're seeing that this is a tough sell in our world. And we're seeing noncompliance and strong pushback this week in particular. And Orford describes, I think, what accounts for this kind of pushback that we're seeing. She says that the shift in consciousness and the shift in behavior is a contrast to the rational choice paradigm that dominates United States and international law. And that rational choice paradigm goes something like this. You can't ask people to make any sacrifice of liberty or property for the collective. And even if you did ask them, they wouldn't do it. And according to this paradigm, nations like people will act in their self-interest even when faced with destruction of the planet. So amid COVID-19, people are being asked to make radical sacrifices to protect one another in direct contrast to this existing paradigm. And we are seeing that an imminent crisis can lead people to some fairly dramatic behavioral changes. And a positive sign, according to Orford, is that ideals of intergenerational equity, the collective good, and making sacrifices to protect the vulnerable have reappeared in political discourse. Perhaps, she says, 
once the COVID-19 pandemic is finally over, governments may be ready to bring that wisdom to bear on the crisis of climate change. Wouldn't that be something? Wouldn't it be something if we could bring this wisdom to climate activism? Just imagine if we were able to broaden and deepen political and ethical discourse and will around climate chaos, drawing on this wisdom, treating climate chaos as an imminent threat rather than something far off in the distant future. It may seem like a lot to hope for. It is a lot to hope for. But the thing is, the wisdom and the learning exist. They are there. The opportunity to shift consciousness toward our shared humanity is there. Arthur Wins, who is a climate change advisor to the World Health Organization, says this. He says, crises like these offer an opportunity for a regained sense of shared humanity in which people realize what matters most, the health and safety of their loved ones, and by extension, the health and safety of their community, country, and fellow global citizens. Both a climate crisis and unfolding pandemic, he says, threaten this one thing we all care about. Collectively, globally, we have an opportunity to protect what we care about most, the health and well-being of all creatures. We have an opportunity to regain and recommit to our shared humanity and our shared connection with all beings. Awakening to our shared humanity, our interconnectedness could bring greater compassion and justice for those most marginalized amid COVID-19 and amid the climate crisis. As we approach the 50th anniversary of Earth Day, I wonder, I ask you, what do you love and hope to never lose to climate change? What collectively will we need to sacrifice to regain our shared connection with all beings so that every creature may abound in well-being and peace? This morning, in honor of Earth Day, in honor of this beautiful planet of which we are a beautiful part, I invite you to reflect on these questions and hold them dear. Amen and blessed be. Thank you for joining us this week. If you'd like a copy of the transcript of this sermon, you can find most week's messages at www.uuberks.org sermons. If you have any thoughts or conversation about today's message, we hope you'll take a moment to stop by our Facebook page and share them. And from all of us at First UU Berks, may this chalice light your path and guide your way until you join us again. Thank you.